If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Why did we drop two atom bombs on Japan? Have you thought about it? I mean, first of all, let's just think about what that actually means. 
I'm watching a fascinating show right now on HBO, and Chris, I need you to look this up for me because I don't do research for the show. It just came out. It's a documentary interviewing survivors, Japanese survivors of that bomb. Something like black rain or white ash or bright sky. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be close with something like that. I'll get you the name of it in a second. And it's fascinating. Totally fascinating. Hear these people talk about being children, their experiences. One lady was the only, la- only girl in her entire, only person, I think, in her entire school that lived. And go ahead, Chris. White Lightning Black Rain is the name of it. Fascinating. I'm actually not completely finished with it yet, but what I've seen so far, fascinating. In fact, not to get sidetracked here, HBO has another great one people haven't seen yet. I believe it's called The Great Blue. It's about the 8th Air Force and their bombing of Europe in World War II. How they launched from England to bomb Germany. You know, our our big, you know, flying fortress fighters. You know, the 8th Air Force lost more men in World War II than the United States Marine Corps did. Like half those guys died. Fascinating story. But back to my story. Why did we drop an atom bomb? For those of you who don't know, Truman, who was obviously president after FDR kicked the bucket, Truman agonized over the decision. Yes, I am aware my voice sounds like crap. You remember how I was dying yesterday? I'm basically dead today. This may be my last show ever. Plus, I was up till midnight doing my post-debate show for TV, so I'm I'm not only dying, I'm lack of sleep and dying. However... Not just any man can do the superhuman thing and come talk into the microphone when he's sick, but I can. Back to my story. Harry Truman agonized over this decision. And if you actually watch that documentary, it kind of brings it home to you. You see faces. You see crying. You see heartbreak. It's easy for you and I to sit here and say, yeah, screw them. And believe me, I've made more Japanese atom bomb jokes than you've made in your lifetime. It's even fun and funny to to share a little joke on the internet about it. However, the reality of life is that's not a military base. That's not a Japanese soldier. Those are women. Those are children. You look at the pictures of them. Adorable little Japanese kids. And you think to yourself, we incinerated them. Two cities worth of them. I'm not ripping on the decision. I'd make it 100 times out of 100, I would hope. But it is a big deal. And Truman knew it was a big deal. Agonized over it. So why do it? Well... Here's why we did it. The Battle of Okinawa. 
considered and called the last great battle of WW2. The war in Europe was not quite over yet by the time of the Battle of Okinawa, but it it was over. We were the Nazis were they were rolling out teenagers, you know, trying to get them to fight and they were on their heels and they were this is this is post every significant thing that happens in World War II. We were just mopping up over there. And we had island hopped our way into that circle the Jap- the Japanese had set up. Now, in case this is your first time listening to my show, let me do a very brief recap on that circle. Remember, you need to think of things in history in broader terms. I do too. That's just, we are taught always one event, one perspective. But as you fit, as you find out, as you dig in further, especially in these global conflicts and things, it's not one perspective. It's part of a larger thing. The Japanese were extremely backward for a long time. Then in the 1800s, they looked around and realized we're going to get colonized if we don't get modern right now. In one of the true miracles of any society, I'm sorry, I find it to be incredible. It's called the Meiji Restoration. They just advanced rapidly. They went all over the world, saw how everybody else did things, came back home, copied them, and in many cases did them better because they mixed in the old way of just hard work, diligence, 100% commitment to the emperor in Japan with new technology. And all of a sudden, Japan is not some fledgling, you know, well, we might get conquered tomorrow. All of a sudden, Japan is a stud. And Japan looks in the mirror one day, and all of a sudden, they have muscles everywhere. And they think, man, we need to use this. Japan starts to conquer new territory because if there's one bad thing you can say about Japan, and I'm sure you could say many bad things. I love the country. But if there's one bad thing you could say about Japan is... There aren't natural resources there, certainly not significant ones. It's a big friggin' island. It's, it's, it's frankly not even, there's just not much there. Okay, well, you've got a great military. You've got a great economy. You go find one. They decided they were going to move on into China and Korea and start slapping them around, and they did. World War II pops up. This guy, Adolf Hitler, in Japan looks around and says to themselves, this might just be an opportunity here. And I'm skipping over loads of diplomacy, but America didn't want Japan in China. We had our own interests in China and Japan would not leave China. Japan decides we're an enemy. We decide we don't like them and we cut off Japan from our oil and steel and our oil and steel were propping up Japan. You have to import what you can't make yourself. So now in Japan's eyes, if you ask them to this day, they will tell you, maybe not the first bullet, but America fired the first shot in that war when they decided to cut us off. Japan came up with a plan. They were really only worried about Russia, Soviet Union at the time. They were really only worried about the Soviet Union 
and America as far as people who could really significantly hurt them outside of China. They were mired in China. Okay, you're worried about America, but still you have that gigantic blue thing between you in America called the Pacific Ocean. They've got to ship themselves a long way over here. Why don't we do this? It was a bold plan. In my opinion, although it did not work out in the end because they misunderstood America's mentality big time, in my opinion, their plan was solid. The only plan they had, I should say. Hang on, I'll explain. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Like a stain on your brain, you can't get out. Gold holds its value. That's maybe the best thing you can say about any asset, right? But it holds its value. It's why you need a gold IRA. Look, you don't need it because it's cool to have it, although it is kind of cool to have it. You don't need it because it's fun to say, I've got some gold. You need it because gold has had value for, well, ever. And it keeps its value. And you see what's happening out there. The way they're printing money, spending money. Wrap your mind around this. A $3 trillion plus deficit this year. This year. That is unlike anything we have ever seen before. Go to Gold Alliance today and get your gold IRA. They make it easy. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. Do it and do it today. Jesse Kelly. Back soon. The plan was simply this, not only attack Pearl Harbor, yes, that was the part we cared about, but that was one of a series of attacks that would take place over 48, 72 hours. I mean, the coordination was incredible. Attack Pearl Harbor, chop up our Pacific fleet, while at the same time take all these islands surrounding Japan. And when I say surrounding, people get the people get a mistaken impression of the war in the Pacific. The vast area Japan conquered with these islands, how spread out they were. We get look, I've I do this all the time to this day. And I, I look, I read all kinds of stuff on this. To this day, I'll I'll paint this picture in my mind that Japan, there's Japan, we can all p- picture Japan, and there's a bunch of little islands like right off its coast. And that's where Japan went and conquered. It was humongous. Humongous, the geographical era, area they conquered, taking over all these islands and basically fortifying them. 
And their thinking was, their hope was, it was completely, I mean, this part of it was really stupid. Their hope was the Americans simply wouldn't have the willpower to, to batter through these islands and root them out. They knew, Japan knew how committed to the cause they were. They knew their people would die. They'd been trained to die. And the Japanese people were at this time, and probably still are, I don't know, extremely racist. So were we. So is everybody. Just a heads up, the Japanese thought Americans were soft, white, Western, and just were not capable of doing this. That is not an insult on the people of Japan. That's human nature. That's what they thought. We thought the same thing about that. We thought they were tiny yellow. I think somebody called them monkeys at one point. They call, I mean, it was, that's how they, that's how we thought too. We all got a little lesson in humility, didn't we? Well, it turns out they were wrong, obviously. We go and we have this vicious island hopping campaign, and you know all about it if you listen to my show, watch the movies, Iwo Jima. Guadalcanal, you know the stories, Saipan, and we have been winning. But here is the problem. As we are winning and we're making that gigantic circle Japan has created around themselves smaller and smaller and smaller, and we're taking airfields and taking airfields and taking airfields, and we're getting closer and closer to Japan. The problem is this. We are taking an enemy that was already die for the cause committed and we're making them desperate. One, the Japanese were very much not monkeys. They were very, very intelligent battlefield-wise. had excellent officers, some excellent generals and admirals. While we are learning their tactics, it's, it's, it's common for people to get stale. It's common for people to get cocky when you're in a long engagement. In fact, it's com- common for you or I when we're learning about it to only give credit to us. Well, the Americans are learning what the Japanese do as they go. If the Japanese are doing this, we can do that to counter them. We're learning. We're, not the Japanese. I mean, they're just they're, they're robot monkeys. But we're learning. They're learning, too. They're learning what we do and how we do it as we advance our way. So we are getting closer and closer to their mainland, which is sacred to them. I I want you to think about their holy land as or, or Japan as Mecca to a Muslim, Jerusalem to a Jew. It, it, it in their way of thinking at that time, it was that. Their emperor was a descendant of God and Japan. This is sacred land. And we are getting closer and closer and closer. So they're getting more desperate. And they're gaining valuable knowledge about us. And it's getting ugly. And as they get desperate, they're doing things like training their civilians on the mainland with spears, I mean women and children, because all the young men were gone, were, going, were undergoing 
military training for stabbing us with spears, for suicides, for, oh yeah. And there was one major island left between us and mainland Japan, and that place is called Okinawa. Now, with the people I just described, how do you think they're going to defend that island? Do you think it's going to be extra vicious? I'll put it to you this way. The United States Marine Corps and United States Army who were joined together in this fight had more battlefield casualties from PTSD in Okinawa than the entire rest of the Pacific campaign combined. We are talking men who have been on the island hopping campaign through the absolute living hells I've described to you several times before. These are not green recruits. Obviously, some were because you got to replace others. But we're talking hard men are breaking mentally in Okinawa. How bad does it have to get? Well, Japan went all in. And I mean Japan went all in. They had roughly, and this was way bigger than any other amount they had on any other island, they had 110,000 Japanese soldiers on this island. Almost to a man, every one of them would be dead at the end. I think like 6,000 or something maybe surrendered. Can you comprehend that? On top of the soldiers, look, there's there's no defense of, of the things Japan did to other people in this war, including their own people. They were roughly, and all these numbers are rough because because the bodies got churned up into soup during this battle. I don't have another way to put it. And there were just so many things not documented. There were roughly 80,000 civilians, Japanese civilians on the island. Well, Japan forced them into service as well. They didn't stop with the adults. Japan went to what you and I would consider to be the middle schools, 13-year-old boys, congratulations, you get to die for Japan. You're in the military now. Here's a rifle. The girls, they forced the girls into, to, uh, into being nurses. By the way, those 13-year-old boys, you want to know part of the reason so many Americans broke mentally on this island? 2,000 of those 13-year-old boys died. It is one thing for a U.S. Marine to shoot a charging Japanese soldier who has a samurai sword in his hands. You ask a U.S. Marine to shoot a 13-year-old boy, that is a whole different kind of mental anguish. We land on the island. They have this huge force there. We have this humongous invasion force because we have complete naval superiority at this time. We land on the beaches, and we assume this is going to be D-Day on steroids. It was actually worse. Hang on.
One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. wanted Okinawa because Okinawa was perfect and the Japanese knew it. It had huge harbors for staging. It had perfect landing strips. Thousand miles from Japan, which meant, well, let me explain. It wasn't just being in range for our bombers. Our bombers, they can hold, especially the B-29 Super Fortresses, they can hold tons of fuel. Our bombers can go a long ways. But bombers are extremely vulnerable to other fighter planes. And contrary to what we see in the movies, this is just the truth of the matter. Yes, it was helpful to have all these guns on our bombers, Bombers got ripped to shreds by fighters. Don't think for a second that those guns shooting out the side of a moving plane at 20,000 feet at a bomber or at a fighter that's streaking across the sky were accurate or effective. A bomber faced with fighters is in deep, deep trouble time and time again. If you're going to fly bombers on bombing campaigns and they're going to face fighters, you had better have fighter planes with your bombers. Taking Okinawa made it so we would be close enough to Japan that our fighter planes could fly all the way there and back with our bombers completely changing the game. But Japan knew all this too. Again, not robot monkeys. Japan knew what they were doing and knew what we were trying to do. We land on that beach and beaches were fine. Beaches were totally fine. But beaches were fine for a reason. The Japanese had retreated to the southern portion of the island and that's where they had been fortifying using the civilians and using slave labor for a long, long time, the Japanese would, especially with POWs, I know this is not surprising given how the Japanese treated others, they would work them to death. They would just work them to death and then chuck them in a ditch and go get some more. 
and they use these guys to build pillboxes and tunnels and caves and and there was this defensive perimeter called Shuri. You don't have to you don't have to memorize that. S H U R I, the Shuri defensive perimeter. And essentially, they had sucked us in to the southern portion of the island where they had made a natural fortress out of the ridges and tunnels and caves. And we showed up there, and it was simply a living hell because they were so dug in for so long and so committed and had learned so many things. And this is part of what I mean about them learning. The Japanese are famous for many, many things in World War II. One of the things they're very famous for were the bonsai charges, where they would either fix bayonets or if they had them pull out samurai swords and whole units would just go charging at uh, a, a group of U.S. Marines. Well, look, that looks great in the movies when you play music behind it and everything else. They were absurdly ineffective. Because Marines are just going to gun you all down before you get there. They, they, were, they were never effective. It was simply wasting your troops. Now, okay, your troops died with honor in your mind. They went and died, but you gained nothing. You completely wasted them. And the Japanese are learning, like I said. Okay, no more stupid bonsai charges. It's not as if they all of a sudden cared about the lives of their troops. They just didn't want to waste them. Instead... They would kind of mix in the Japanese, I want to die rather than surrender mentality with an actual defensive mentality, meaning, okay, you make your concrete pillbox here. I'll make my concrete pillbox there. We will have interlocking fields of fire, making it an absolute death trap to come get us. And once they get to us, we still won't surrender. It's really the mix of, if you're going to look at it from a pure combat standpoint, a mix of the best of both worlds. They're not throwing their lives away, but now they're fighting to the last bullet and then pulling out a grenade and grabbing you with it. Like I said, this is why guys were mentally breaking. And it went from just land to the sea as well. In the air, you see a lot of people talk about the Battle of Okinawa. And they focus on, understandably, they focus on the casualties on the ground because that's the stuff we think about more. But I want to read you some numbers here, and these are real. 221 tanks destroyed. 12 destroyers sunk. 15 amphibious ships sunk. 386 ships damaged. 765 aircraft blown out of the sky. They went all in with the kamikaze. This was, I mean, there was plenty, there were plenty of kamikaze attacks in other places. This was kamikaze central. Japan was out of great pilots, out of options. And so they were training the next generation of pilots specifically to be kamikaze pilots. And they were sinking our ships. And nobody talks about this. It wasn't just suicide planes. They had suicide ships as well. Fast little ships loaded with explosives, sometimes submarines, little mini submarines, and they would drive them into our boats. Just fighting somebody like that is a, is a living hell. It is a nightmare. 
And you want to know how in they were? The great Japanese battleship Yamato. It's a famous Japanese battleship. You can go look at pictures of it to this day. The Japanese battleship Yamato. They essentially pulled off a suicide attack with their battleship. They knew they did not have the air cover to protect it. They knew they didn't have the Navy around it. And it was a few days away from Okinawa. They said, screw it, and just sent it steaming straight ahead into Okinawa, hoping it could just kill as many people as possible before it got there. By the grace of God, we found it while it was still a day out and swarmed it with planes and sunk it to the bottom of the ocean. Who knows the damage a suicide battleship could have done. And on the island, it wasn't better. It was the caves. It was the pillboxes. It was our guys because the rains came, and the rains came really, really, really bad. Look, I've been on Okinawa. I did a six-month stretch on Okinawa, and it's it's exactly what you'd expect through jungle. The rains simply drowned the place, and what was happening was the Japanese were using more artillery than they'd ever used. So I, I don't want to get too gory, but this the truth of it is this. When you're getting shelled a lot, you're not dying pretty. They're burying your feet. They're having a hard time putting your entire body together. When you're in combat, it matters a lot, especially to people like Marines, to bury somebody, to take his entire body out of there so he can have a proper burial. It matters for you, obviously, more than it matters for the dead guy. Well, our guys are not only getting blown to bits, the bits of them, we're not finding them because they're drowning in the mud. So we're not finding guys, which is breaking our guys mentally. And then the water is making things worse because it's bringing in the mosquitoes and there were actual maggots floating on the surface of the water everywhere. Look, if this sounds like a horror movie, that's what it was. That's exactly what it was. I know it's not Medal of Honor Monday, but I'm going to wrap this up next segment, and I'm going to read you a Medal of Honor citation, and my word, I think it'll give you a good idea. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. The Jesse Kelly Show.
I want you to listen to this Medal of Honor citation. I know it's not Medal of Honor Monday, but really, can we ever do this too much? Clarence B. Kraft, San Bernardino, California, May 31st, 1945. He was a rifleman when his platoon spearheaded an attack on Hen Hill, the tactical position on which the entire Nahashuri-Yanaburu line of jet, that's the Shuri line we just talked about, Japanese defense on Okinawa. Ryuku, Okinawa, Ryuku Islands was hinged. For 12 days, our forces had been stalled and repeatedly and repeated heavy assaults by one battalion and then another had been thrown back by the enemy with serious casualties. With five comrades, PFC Kraft was dispatched in advance of Company G to feel out the enemy resistance. The group had proceeded only a short distance up the slope when rifle and machine gun fire, coupled with a terrific barrage of grenades, wounded three and pinned down the others. Against odds that appeared suicidal, PFC Kraft launched a remarkable one-man attack. He stood up in full view of the enemy and began shooting with deadly marksmanship wherever he saw a hostile movement. He steadily advanced up the hill, killing Japanese soldiers with with rapid fire, driving others to cover in their strongly disposed trenches, unhesitatingly facing alone the strength that had previously beaten back attacks in battalion strength. He reached the crest of the hill where he stood silhouetted against the sky while quickly throwing grenades at extremely short range into enemy positions. His extraordinary assault lifted the pressure from his company for the moment, allowing members of his platoon to comply with his motions to advance and pass him more grenades. With a chain of his command, with uh, with a chain of his comrades supplying him while he stood atop the hill, he furiously hurled a total of two cases of grenades into a main trench and other positions on the reverse slope of Hen Hill. Meanwhile, directing the aim of his fellow soldiers who threw grenades from the slope below him, he left his position where grenades from both sides were passing over his head and bursting on either slope to attack the main enemy trench as confusion and panic seized the defenders. Straddling the excavation, he pumped rifle fire into the Japanese at point-blank range, killing many and causing the others to flee down the trench. Pursuing them, he came upon a heavy machine gun which was still creating havoc in the American ranks. With rifle fire and a grenade, he wiped out this position. By this time, the Japanese were in a complete rout and the American forces were swarming over the hill. PFC craft continued down the central trench to the mouth of a cave where many of the enemy had taken cover. A satchel charge was brought to him and he tossed it into the cave. It failed to explode. With great daring, the intrepid fighter retrieved the charge from the cave, relighted the fuse, and threw it back sealing up the Japanese in a tomb. In the local action against tremendously superior forces, heavily armed with rifles, machine guns, mortars, and grenades, PFC Kraft killed at least 25 of the enemy, but his contribution to the campaign on Okinawa was much more far-reaching consequence for Hen Hill and was the key to the entire defense line, which rapidly crumbled under his utterly fearless and heroic attack. Dag gone, son. 
I'm amazed that guy was able to walk around with those things in between his legs. Good grief. How does he sit down on a plane, Chris? He has to have two seats for sure. We ended up winning the Battle of Okinawa at great, great cost. Uh, Mel Gibson made a really good movie about it called uh, Hacksaw Ridge. I would, I would recommend it. It's about another guy, Desmond Doss, I believe his name on Desmond Doss. It's a fascinating story. He was a conscientious objector, would not carry a weapon, would not shoot a weapon. I mean, they like tried to kick him out, but he wouldn't go. But he was like the bravest person around. He just would not shoot a weapon, and he ends up winning the Medal of Honor, saving, they say, 75 people on the island of Okinawa, 75 people sneaking like behind enemy lines to sneak them out. Oh, and that 75 number is undoubtedly light. Dawes tried to tell everyone he only saved 50. Everybody there said, uh, he saved at least a hundred. And Dawes finally agreed to 75. He was just this humble dude. He said, no, it couldn't have been more than 75. Everyone else there was saying, uh, yeah, it was. Yes, it was. And one thing I will tell you about that movie, Hacksaw Ridge, and what Desmond Doss did, Mel Gibson cut out a couple of the end parts of how heroic of heroic things Doss did because he felt they would be too unrealistic for the audience. The audience wouldn't even remember. After he was done saving all those people, he got a grenade, blow him up, blew up his leg or something like that. His leg is something. I forget the story. They were hauling him out of there. He ordered the guys to put him down and leave him to go get someone else who was wounded. Dude was a beast. Hang on. HomeTitleLock.com is the wall that stands between you and cyber thieves. If you are a homeowner, your home title is almost undoubtedly your biggest financial vulnerability. And unless you have HomeTitleLock.com, your home title is easy pickings. I, I, I cannot stress this point enough. It happened to me, and it took these guys less than 10 minutes to hack into my home title and forge my signature on it and my wife's signature on it. It's just not difficult for them. It's like bending over and picking cash up off the sidewalk. Get HomeTitleLock.com and make it impossible for them. They shut it down as soon as tampering is detected. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. And don't forget, use the code RADIO. Gets you 30 free days of protection. the debate was boring and let me clarify Trump did very very well Trump slaughtered Biden last night I thought I thought they were relatively even for the first 30 45 minutes or so I didn't think any big punches were landed 
Then I thought Biden ran out of gas and Trump started savaging him, absolutely savaging him with that. Well, why didn't you do anything when you were there? Lined it was so effective. Joe can't present himself as this, hey, I'm going to change things. Bro, you've been in Washington for 47 years. Why ain't you changed them yet? So I thought that was good. I'd probably play you a couple debate clips, even though it's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. But it is an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. 877-377-4373. Call. Let's have some fun. Hang on. Jesse Kelly returns next. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one, get two, be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE that gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.